3: Music mm-hmm.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Episode 2 of the rebranded Bomber Brothers Podcast, now part of the Pinstripe Alley community. Sean and Ryan with you. We'll also have Tyler Kepner of the New York Times on to talk about the latest surrounding the Yankees and his book, K, uh, an awesome book diving deep into the mind of a pitcher, which everyone should go out and grab a copy of. But for now, before we get to that, Sean, there's a lot of catching up to do. And by catching up, I mean a lot of new injuries to recap since we last spoke. Uh, We've got Sanchez on the I.L. now. We've got uh, Severino shut down again. We have Batansis with his shoulder spur shut down uh, for the next six or seven weeks. And now just uh, minutes before we start recording, which is kind of dangerous to record nowadays because you're probably going to miss a new injury. But now Greg Bird with a plantar fascia tear is off to the 10-day I.L., bringing up Mike Ford, uh, an undrafted Free agent signing back in 2013, who, as Gio Gonzalez uh, quoted Mike Ford as being ghost pepper, that's how hot he is right now in AAA. So, hopefully, he brings that to the majors because there's uh, not much offensive production left on the big league club.
2: Well, I, um, yeah, I, I tweeted this out about half an hour ago after the bird injury broke. I don't know if you saw it. The last night of the 2017 season, 4-0 loss to Houston. We uh, you know, we were we were upset, we came within one of the World Series, but we also felt very hopeful. That was, you know, less than that was a year and a half ago now. The only players that are not hurt from that lineup are Gardner, Judge, and Torres replacing Castro. Anduhar, who replaced Frazier is on the IL, Stanton who replaced Headley is on the IL, and everybody else is on the I. L. Um, even Didi's replacement to Lewitsky is. So three players, one of them is aged you know, into his late 30s. So Judge and Torres are the only players from that lineup which are, are big league caliber players. So yeah, we're screwed. Um, <laughs> I, 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 we're going to have to start podcasting uh, every other day because there, there's just too much to talk about with all this crap that we found out. Um, Severino's news is terrible. It's worse that they don't know how it happened. I mean, even Cashman was saying they're trying to figure out how you have a grade two. It's not like a small – it's not a grade one strain. It's a grade two latch strain. So I figured you would have a general idea of how that happened. The Batantis thing is also really bad. I mean, for a pitcher with a shoulder injury, that's devastating. And, I mean, uh, the the Fraser. uh, Fraser, sorry, the Sanchez thing – if he's going to the IL and he's sitting down, why is he pinch hitting then? I mean, why didn't you just get it taken care of the day, that day and get get an MRI instead of waiting? Just just with all the shit that's going on, take care of it. So am I allowed to still curse on this new platform?
1: Yeah, yeah. We can just change the setting from clean to explicit when we publish it. so you can. This have one's going to
2: be explicit.
1: <laughs> yeah, the first one was clean, so I guess we can alternate back and forth every week. But um, <laughs> uh, the way things are going, it's actually probably going to be an explicit streak that will eclipse Joe DiMaggio if the season keeps going the way it is. Because not only is everyone injured, the Yankees are losing series to the Orioles, the Tigers, and the White Sox at home. And, um,
2: but they turned the corner after the Astros series. I was told that they were turning the corner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Boone is optimistic about a lot of things and, um,
2: i don't share it right now he really thinks they're in a sound place as far as our focus energy and expectations when we walk through these doors how are they in a sound place with their focus and energy after that disaster of a finale in houston when you got clint frazier dropping fly balls gardner not running out balls i I mean how can you feed me this bs
1: yeah that was that was an awful awful sloppy series in houston and um then there was sloppy weather. The next day in Chicago, uh, not in Chicago, against Chicago, when they lose that series opener on Friday, and then Saturday happens and CC comes back and and you almost don't know what to do with yourself because you're used to players going to the IL not coming back from it. But then here comes CC, pitches unbelievable. Everyone's laughing in the clubhouse after the game. Judge says you know this could be the start of something. And then they follow it up with the what feels like inevitable occasional clunker from Tanaka, even though he had been great to start the season. He uh, does not, does not follow that up on a Sunday, gave up a grand slam to Tim Anderson, who is, I don't even know what his OPS is right now, but he's somehow one of the hottest hitters in that division and the Yankees can't score any runs to make a comeback and they drop another series. And now there's a two game series with Boston on deck and it's not going to carry the same weight as many people thought it would before the series started, because not only do the Yankees stink, the Red Sox do too.
2: Yeah, both of them are are struggling, and I guess if you want to take solace in something, it's like that old, okay, well, you did something wrong, well, so did you. I mean, I would just rather be winning baseball games than have both of us suck. Uh, Six and nine is not the start I was hoping for. Um, I, I, I too, thought – you know what, CC did pitch a very inspiring performance on Saturday. That was a, a nice little uplift, especially after blowing the lead like they did on Friday. Again, I mean, how many leads are we going to lose this season? Um, and, and I know you're going to argue with me on this, but it, to me it, it, it comes back to the player performance. I understand that. The players need to perform, but they also need to be put in the best possible position, and Aaron Boone is not the man for this job. Joe Girardi would take a team like this, and at least make something out of it. He, I am convinced, Girardi would have this team at least two extra wins. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they'd be be eight and seven, but that's better than six and nine. And the way that he's he's always like a batter behind with the bullpen, and then he comes out with these kumbaya quotes about how they're doing all right. I, I'm sorry, like you know what, the manager doesn't need to be a nice guy all the time. It's good that he has personal relationships with the players, but you can have a personal relationship with the player and still demand a certain set set of standards from them in terms of focus. I understand performance. You can't control that. I mean, look, we both play like rec league baseball and you know, as well as I do, I can't hit for shit and I try as hard as I can. But there's other things in your game that, that you, you can control. And even the Yankees don't do those things right. The fundamentals fail them. And the manager should should be able to squeeze as much as he can out of this team. And, and he's not doing it. I'm really disappointed in Boone. And I'm going to bring this all the way back to the beginning. Cashman had my trust. And like Ricky Ricardo said, I trusted him with his life. But he's been on a downward spiral since he fired Girardi. Mm, well, he fired House Girardi out, and then House got Clinton Giancarlo
1: Stanton.
2: Giancarlo Stanton was dumped in his lap.
1: He still got him. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Because he
2: wouldn't go anywhere.
1: You're, you're also... All right. It was like yeah. an
2: arranged marriage. She didn't win, win him over. He just I was, he had something else
1: to do. All right. Well, how do you explain Luke
2: Voigt? Th- all right. That's a good one.
1: All right. So but it's not a downward spiral.
2: Uh, it's Yeah. But we're talking about in the aggregate. We got... First of all, he fires... Joe Girardi, who had done an amazing job, I understand that him and Sanchez didn't get along, but you know what? Like Managers don't get along with players all the time. He was still a sound tactical manager. Then he goes, if you really want to fire Girardi, like if there was really a problem there that I don't know about, I'm okay with that. I'm 100% okay admitting that there's things going on in the Yankees that I have no friggin' idea about. And that's true. That's true for anybody that's not in the organization, even the beat writers, right? But why do you go and hire somebody like Boone with no experience? You could have hired Bam Bam over there in in uh, San Francisco. That would have been a better choice. Shit, Eric Wedge would have been a better choice at this point. <laughs> um, I would have.
1: I would have liked Beltron. Uh, he, he, he he can tell when someone's tipping pitches.
2: That's true, and we'll we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> that that probably would would have been a better choice. I don't know, but uh, I mean, then he goes out this off and gets Britain, who's stunk. He gets Hap, who's stunk.
1: All right, well, and, and, all right, hang on. Uh, the Hap signing so far, the Hap re-signing so far has been bad yes. through, a, through a couple starts.
2: Well, well, the Hap the
1: trade was a huge win. Y-
2: yeah, but you you can't give an old pitcher that uh, – and then the, Patrick Corbin's out there pitching great. Machado's already got – oh, and the Tulewitzki signing. Don't even get me started about that. Uh well, and and, and Machado's Machado, Machado's already at one win above replacement. It's April 16th. He's already at one win above replacement. What's Tulo doing? Sitting there stretching his calves.
1: Probably not they'll tear. But um it's Look, I, all right, I'm, I'm completely with you on all the Machado, the Corbin stuff. I, I think um, there should have been much more done to possibly bring those guys in than just putting their faces on the Jumbotron in, in center field. And the Yankees are, are paying for uh, not going big game hunting like they hinted they would. Uh, and, and back to Boone um, – you know, just, just because I said that I feel like pitchers need to be doing their job a little more and then it's not all on Boone. And then everyone thought I was this Boone supporter. I don't think Boone's doing a great job. I don't think his in-game managing is great, but I also think the Yankees aren't leaving him with a ton of great options because everyone he's been throwing out there has not been doing good from, from starters aside from, well, Tanaka until Sunday. And, um, and then CC came back on Saturday. The bullpen has not been good. The the super death star bullpen has not been good at all. So I think it's also a lot of just the fact that guys aren't doing their job. And and I understand people for for some reason people want to see guys laid into and and called out and and that just doesn't necessarily work all the time. I mean, Joe Tory was a lot like Boone in his early years. he was the don't panic, everybody stay calm, everything's fine. and nobody said anything because the Yankees won World Series and instead of you know being called soft like Boone is like oh, and everyone making fun of his Kumbaya relationships with the players instead Tori was just seen as um, you know, the player whisperer, the guy that just kept the clubhouse in sync and then you know, and then the core, of that team stayed intact and Steinbrenner started bringing in a lot of other outside stars. And that's when, you know, according to a lot of reporters, Torrey started to lose, lose the locker room and the Yankees stopped winning world series. So I, I don't, I just don't, I just don't see the correlation between reaming guys out and getting wins. I just, I just don't, I, I don't see the correlation there.
2: I, I don't, I don't need him or, or want him to ream a guy out, but I mean, you, Let's be clear about something. Joe Torre, while he was a good players manager, he was not afraid to call out one of his players if he needed to. He he said he thought David Wells was out of shape and when he ran out of gas at that start in, in Texas or whatever. He came back and threw a perfect game the next week. I mean, he was hungover, but I mean, that's one thing. But th- that's like you don't need to go, you know, you don't need to come in and, and say, you know, Clint Frazier sucks. He, he dropped like three, three balls or, or you know, t- took some terrible roots on some fly balls. He just needs to say, you know, we need to work on a couple of things. Like obviously, the way that we're playing right now is not acceptable. He doesn't need to call anybody out, but don't say like, oh, we're about to turn the corner after you turn in that. or, or he could say, you know, like Gardner knows he has to do that. It was a mental error. Like like, just give us a little accountability. That that's all. You don't need. To say, we know Brett Gardner is a is a tough, gritty player um, who usually always does the right thing. But just don't pretend that it's not it's not an issue. You you don't need to demean a guy over it. Um, I mean, honestly, I never thought that Girardi was demeaning about Sanchez. He just, you know, he expected a certain level. I always thought that he was fair with him, but uh, apparently not. And I I mean, yeah, he doesn't have a lot to work with, but uh, I I mean, this is how the Yankees opened up in 2013. And I'm always going to go back to this. You had Nunez batting second, Euclid's batting fourth, Vernon Wells batting fifth, Ben Francisco batting sixth, Jason <laughs> Nix batting eighth, and Francisco batting And we Cervelli were at that
1: opening day. And we were at
2: <laughs> that game. And he had that team in first place at the end of April.
1: Yeah, no, look, Girardi did masterful jobs mining through a lot of injuries and getting the most out of guys like Lyle Overbay and, and what have you. And, you know, he also had his faults. And, um, you know... I, I don't know. I keep going back to people wanting Boone to be a little more outgoing in his accountability, and look, that's just that's not just a Boone thing. Like this is a Yankees organization thing. Now they don't want that. I'm I'm about three quarters of the way through Inside the Empire by Bob Clapish and and he he details like what the Yankees organization does in terms of grooming prospects that they that they bring in, whether it's through the draft or through um, international signings and they they literally instruct and teach players you know how to deal with the press and and not single anybody out in their answers and and to keep things as mellow as possible and just you know how steinbrenner brian cashman they have turned the organization into the anti-george steinbrenner basically where it's not a zoo and it's not calling people out and you know could there be a happy medium between that and the late 70s yankees probably but it's just it's just not what the organ. I, I just I don't single out Boone on that because you know after reading all that stuff, it's an organization wide thing. It's not it's not just Boone, and they probably hired him because they saw that he fit that mold. He apparently really impressed in a six hour interview, and um, seemed to embrace the analytic wave. And you know, managers. I, I guess I just never saw the manager having a huge impact on the game itself because so much is just the talent on the field but you, you do you have to make good in-game choices Boone has not been great at that right now so you know our disagreement simply lies and you think Boone's terrible and I just think he's not good <laughs> so that's, neither that's of them fair. are positive
2: yeah well and you know like you said it's an organizational thing and it comes down from Cashman and I mean, yeah, he's made some really great moves in the past this offseason. I do not think he did a good job. Um, and I thought he did a bad job with the manager. And I think he's done a bad job if that's his choice to have this kind of um, total kumbaya. Like at some I mean, I agree. You have a young kid, you don't want to put him down, obviously. You don't I mean, hazing and stuff like that, like and, and even like being like that when you're trying to develop a player tough on him, I understand it doesn't work for everybody, but once you get to the show uh, there just needs to be a level of accountability, in my opinion, and the Yankees aren't doing that. Um, or
1: maybe they are, just not in front of a microphone or behind a camera. We don't know.
2: That's that's fair. But, I mean, you know what? This is all I'll say. At least they're the luxury tax champions, and all the players are going to be happy because I'm not. I'm not happy, but at least, at least they're, they're all the players – are going to go to bed with a smile on their face because they, they didn't get called out.
1: I, I think, I, again, I just think that's misunderstood. I, I watch Aaron Judge in his post-game interviews after these losses, and he's not happy. He's just you know He's just smart enough to hold his anger in until the press is gone because he doesn't want to cause more distraction. I mean, you can tell just by watching him talk after games that he's not happy. Why would he be? He hates to lose. So do all the Yankees, I'm sure. But they probably are have been taught to push that aside until the reporters leave, and then, you know, and then hash out whatever needs to be hashed out. At, at least, at least that's how I see it. And uh, there's just there's just a certain level of powerlessness right now. Like we we mentioned the Yankee the Tory Yankees. What was the biggest common denominator of those teams? They stayed healthy. The Red Sox last year, everybody stayed healthy. You know, Mm -hmm. Sale fell off a little bit in the second half, but they were so far ahead and healthy through the rest of their roster that they were able to rest them for a little longer. And the Yankees are just the complete opposite right now. I think think it would be interesting. I I wish I had, you know, crunched these numbers or something to, like, calculate total uh, wars or some kind of stat to help compare the two. But I feel like the injured Yankees right now would beat the current Yankees if you put a put him in a seven game series or something
2: if you got him all healthy probably but yeah I mean uh you know moving on to talk about the actual team because we're just you know speculating now and arguing over how terrible Boone is whether he's a (laughs) negative 10 or a negative 7 I guess you're probably going to rate him um yeah I mean the latest one uh with Bird is an interesting case to me and you know I've always been a a supporter of, of Greg Bird but the last couple I mean since opening day he's just looked he's looked lost and he's looked like depressed at the plate (laughs) I mean Paul O'Neill pointed it out he just he looks like a man that's just searching for something that's not there and um now he's hurt and I assume he hasn't been hurt the whole time because they would have probably figured it out sooner so I I don't know I, I know we spoke uh to Mark about this last week I just I don't know where this is going with him um He's one of the ones I could see not making it back, just like Ellsbury, not, not having an impact down the line. Um, but um, that, that makes me sad because, you know, he was a guy that when he came up in 2015, we all got really pumped about and we're like, wow, this is what the future is going to be. And there's more guys like this on the way. And then the guys on the way came and were really good. And he had his injuries and then he came back in 2017 and you got pumped again. And since then, it's just been all downhill. So I don't know if we're closing the bur- the book on Bird, but um, it sure feels that way today.
1: Yeah, uh, Brandon. I think it was Brendan Cuddy that tweeted out, "Is is the Bird era done in New York?" And it's actually a legitimate question now. I feel like um, he, an- another injury, which came after he was posting a something like a five fifty OBS or something like that. He just yeah, he he'd been dreadful. He was really he's he has been really bad. Uh, meanwhile, Luke Voigt is. You know, still producing, getting on base, obviously not the best fielder, but, you know, suddenly maybe the Yankees don't have to cling to Bird like they felt like they needed to in the past when their other option was like Chris Carter, who struck out every (laughs) at-bat he came to the plate. So there's not like a huge black hole at first base anymore, there's just one literally everywhere else in the field, but... You know, you go from one depressing story like that to a, a story in Mike Ford, who was an uh, undrafted guy. Maybe can they catch lightning in a bottle? We'll we'll see. Five home runs in ten AAA games. I know he went zero for five in his last game, but maybe he's just saving those hits for uh, the major leagues against against the Red Sox. So uh, I don't I know. Say. I don't know if he'll uh, how many at bats he'll get this brief two game series. We'll see, but. Yeah, it, it's sad. It's sad to uh, to see Bird still struggling with injuries after struggling to, to produce. And what we always were saying through these first few weeks was, you know, the injuries aren't really an excuse right now. He's healthy and he's just not performing. Well, now he's both. And um, I, I guess <laughs> I guess we'll always have the, the swing and a drive to right in, in 2017. And as great as it is to look back on such an awesome moment like that, it also sucks to realize how young he still is and how, that you know, that could have been the norm for Bird, just mashing home runs into the upper deck and right field. But I don't know. Will Will he get another chance? I, we'll see. He He has he has he has options. So I mean, they could always bring him up and down if they think he's healthy or not. But yeah. But we'll who knows? See. But um. All right. Let's uh. Let's Let's get to uh. Let's get to Tyler Kepner, and then we'll come back and and talk a little more about uh. Plenty of Yankee stuff left left to talk about. It's uh, a little doom and gloom in Yankees universe right now, but let's uh, let's talk to Tyler Kepner about his new book, K. He had a bunch of great stories from the uh, perspective of pitchers and some of baseball's biggest moments, and plenty of them included Yankees. And he came on to talk uh, to us about all of that and other things going on around the Yankees right now. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll bring on Tyler Kepner of The New York Times. I'm Alex Rodriguez. Okay, we're joined now by Tyler Kepner. He's the national baseball writer for the New York Times and also the author of the new book, K, which came out at the beginning of the month. It's a great book, and any baseball fan would absolutely love it. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us.
3: Sure, happy to be here.
1: So, a great book, obviously. It's a great book deep dive into the mind of a pitcher and there's a bunch of Yankees or former Yankees in there Mike Musina, Mariano Rivera Ralph Terry from the 1960 World Series and it seemed like Mike Musina was um, one of the highlights of the book or at least one of the pitchers who gave you the most insight and in just really revealing how obsessive he was about every pitch and and what the situation entailed and I, I always find it interesting for pitchers like that did Mussina strike you as someone who maybe in this day and age would have been you know embracing this new wave of advanced stats kind of like a Trevor Bauer in terms of how much he obsesses with his spin rate and pitch percentages and things like that it, did Musina or any other Yankee kind of strike you as someone who would have taken that stuff and ran with it if they were pitching today
0: that's a really interesting question because I think Messina is smart enough that if he had grown up in this generation, um, and if that was sort of his his you know his normal his reality, that he would have been all over it. But to take him, you know him from his generation to now, he's not a big fan of it. Like he's he's not sitting there at home you know um, eating up all these newfangled stats. Um, in fact, he didn't you know he. he is very dismissive of the idea of spin rate because he thinks it's uh, not indicative of whether a pitch is going to be a good pitch or not. Uh, you know, you need command and you need to know when to use it. I think he was much bigger on intuition and reading the moment, um, reading all you know, putting all those factors into your brain and you figuring it out versus maybe a little bit more of a predetermined um, script. So I think. From his, with his perspective and his background, uh, if you just plopped him down in the middle of this right now, he would not like it at all. Um, but I think he's so smart that if he had grown up with it, he would he would eat it up. It would be a big asset for
1: him. And another aspect of, of today's baseball is teams are, are so guarded in terms of holding a competitive advantage. Um, you even look at a guy like Brian Cashman who won't reveal anything about his. Um, massive analytics departments or what the Yankees do to gain an edge. And then you have Mariano Rivera in, in your book. And and you, you mentioned on uh, Brandon Steiner's podcast last week about how open he was about just showing his cutter grip to opponents, which was his secret weapon. I mean, just now in the Hall of Fame, in the first unanimous Hall of Fame selection, just what does it say about his greatness that he was basically like, here's what I do, I'll show you how to do it, but you won't be able to repeat it.
0: Um, well, I think he's, you know, a very generous guy, and I think that there's um, sort of a brotherhood among pitchers that, you know, that they're willing to, to, to talk shop with each other. I mean, we had a few things I think a couple of years ago, right, where, uh, you know, Pedro uh, Martinez was helping out, Luis Severino, um, you know, in the offseason, and the Red Sox, like, hey, you know, you work for us. You're a Red Sox guy. Um, but I think it's just sort of a, a feeling that, you know, we can help each other out. And also, I think pitchers understand that, like, just because I show you a grip doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. Um, you know, like John Schultz was telling me from the book about how he, he played with, uh, you know, guys who threw change-ups at a Hall of Fame level, um, you know, with Glavin and Eddie Maddox. And, and he, you know, he just couldn't get that pitch. So, you know, you can tell someone how to do stuff. You know, Halliday can ask Rivera, you know, am I doing something wrong with the thumb placement on my— on my uh, cutter but it's still it's kind of up to Halliday and his physiology and the way his, his hand moves to you know to uh, to be able to pick that up or not so obviously he did and, and he took that um, improved cutter and made it the featured pitch for the last three big years of his career on 9, 10, 11 um, and certainly some of the Yankees weren't thrilled with that with you know with Rivera for helping him out but there's still no guarantee it was going to work
1: and you, you mentioned Luis Severino, who got knocked around in the playoffs last year, was later possibly revealed that he was tipping pitches. And then you have James Paxton in his last start um, now being revealed that he was possibly tipping his pitches, which could have led to him getting knocked around. And it was actually Carlos Beltran who pointed it out to him. And you know, I, I don't know if you've discussed this with any pitchers for your book, but you know, how does – tipping pitches sometimes start to happen when mechanics get, get flawed. And do you think it's a concern that the pitching coaches and Larry Rothschild and, and company over at the Yankees weren't able to point that out, and it came from actually a more external source? I know Beltron's a special advisor to the Yankees, but it almost seems like that could have been seen from the dugout from the pitching coaching staff. Yeah,
0: that's fair. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really – Dug in yet to to ask you know if that was something that the coaches were aware of, um, but you know certainly it's good to have Beltran on on uh, on their payroll because he's you know he's the kind of guy who sees so much. Um, but that is something. I mean, that's when a pitcher's struggling, he shouldn't be struggling um, based on his track record and or his health. Um, that is something that that everybody should should go to. Um, you know, I mean, you look at certain pitchers right now around the league. Aaron Dole has been. Been pretty bad, and, and you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, guard you know, a lot of guys whose stats just don't match up with their pedigree, and you wonder, you know, if, if, if they are tipping. And, and that's something that is a real issue now because, um, you know, of so much video uh, and, and so many people paid to just analyze video, um, you know, that, that pitchers often have tells, and it's a lot easier to pick up those tells. Um, you know, nowadays than it, than it was before, maybe just with a really smart hitter in, 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 you know, in the dugout trying to figure it out. Um, so, yeah, pitchers have to be really aware of that. I mean, we saw last year in the playoffs, I remember talking to Cora, I think it was Cora, no, it was um, Daniel Levangy uh, the Red Sox pitching coach in the Houston locker room last year after Kimbrell had pitched really well in game five. And, and I'm like, well, what was the difference? It's like, well, he was tipping his pitches. He was doing this with his club, um before. And then we told him to knock that out. So, you know, that took the Red Sox several playoff games to really figure that out. So yeah, I guess it's not easy, but um, hitters are are trying to stay ahead. That's for sure.
3: Tyler, another pitcher that's, that's been struggling for the Yankees has been Jay Happ, and I know when he signed, some people were concerned, given his age, and that he was a predominantly fastball pitcher. How, in your opinion, how, how does a, a pitcher that relies on his fastball, like Jay Happ does, that, that's diminishing, how does he stay relevant, and do you think he can sort of get
0: out of this funk that he's in if his command improves? Well, yeah, I think it's all about the command with him. I mean, Jay Happ's one of the guys, you know, sort of the prime examples that i use of of um or that anybody can use of, of of what a fastball with life really means compared to you know what the radar gun says you know the the, the miles per hour is only one ingredient in jay Happ. i mean he, he has that fastball that he can usually if he's spotting it well he can he can survive up in the zone even though he doesn't throw that hard because the pitch just doesn't fall it's got like the kind of a rising um illusion to the hitters um because of the 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 spin rate on it um and i haven't checked the spin rate numbers right now to tell you how that compares to previous years um but generally he's always been the kind of guy who could who could live you know with, with with fastball um high in the zone as long as he had command um because it just it acts it behaves differently on the way to the plate than most guys fastball so um yeah, you know, I, 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 again, the track record's so good there recently that I wouldn't, I weren't worrying about it too much um, because it is so early. But it is time to have to mix in a good start there. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's past time for that. So it's definitely. I mean, he's one of the healthy guys. You know, he's not performing. So the Yankees, everybody's hurt. So they sure can't afford to have a, a guy who's healthy not performing. Absolutely. And um, another Yankee that there were some velocity
3: concerns about, um, although his last start out, he was hitting triple digits with relative ease, was this um, Chapman. And I know in your book you detail kind of the evolution of Trevor Hoffman. Given the devastating slider that he has, do you think as Chapman's velocity diminishes as he ages, he'll still be able to be an effective pitcher if he semi reinvents
0: himself? Uh, I think so. I've always been a Chapman guy. I, I just. In a sense that, um, I just keep going back to how you know, it's easy for people to get on him for, for giving up the home run to Rajay Davis uh, in the World Series, but people <laughs> tend to forget that he went he went through um, Santana, Lindor, and Kipnis one, two, three in the ninth inning when and a home run would have lost the World Series there with you know not throwing a hundred and, and, and you know tricking them with whatever ninety seven and, and sliders. So I, I think he's I don't know I just think he's 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 a He's a tough guy. I think he can figure it out. I think you're right. The slider is a really good pitch. Um, and I don't know enough to know about his relationship with like a CC Sabathia, but I think as long as CC's around, CC is such a, a great leader um, that I think he's a good example and a good resource um, for a guy like Chapman or anybody if they're looking to, you know, sustain excellence. Um, and reinvent themselves maybe a little bit as their stuff changes um you know cc cc shown that you know that 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 he can do that and that's what the great ones do and 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 um you know i i look at chapman as a great one i I look at him as really you know a, a, a special pitcher and and those guys tend to um you know evolve over time so i just i just don't worry about him yeah, it's really cool how CC has become this leader, kind of inheriting it from Andy Pettit, who sort of passed on the, the tricks
3: of, of pitching as you H as a lefty to him. Um, both of those guys have provided us with tons of great Yankee memories. And I know in your book you highlight um, a, a lot of great pitching moments and Yankee pitching moments. Were there any Yankee moments that didn't make it into
0: the book that were, were close runner-ups that, you know, obviously if, if the book was a little longer you would have included? Well, um, I feel like I did a, a pretty, you know, I am to think there were a whole lot of cutting room floor stuff with the Yankees. Um, probably not a ton. I mean, I wanted to touch on just enough of, of, of the Yankee, you know, kind of legends, um, sort of the living legends. Um, I mean, you know, Whitey Ford's obviously not in a position anymore to give interviews, but, you know, I, I was able to you know, get some stuff out of his book and, and, and from some people who pitched with him about, you know, some of the, the trickery he was able to do late in his career. And, and maybe that doesn't give him credit for all the time when he wasn't uh, cutting the ball. But, um, you know, certainly he was he was a legend. I was thankful that Ralph Terry is, is, is still with us to tell his stories of, of uh, you know, pitching – Game seven in, in nineteen sixty 1960 and nineteen sixty two and how he avoided giving up another Game Seven walk off and ended up with a you know being the hero in sixty two. I thought that was a really fun story to tell. Um, you know, dealing with Ron Kidry and, and Gossage and Rivera and Pedden and, and a little bit of Clemens and, and Cena obviously. Um, you know, the Yankees have such a great such a great tradition in, in that aspect. And also Phil Necro. I mean, Phil Necro happened to get in, you know, with the Yankees for when he won his 300th game. And, and telling that story was fun, too. Um, you know, a little bit of Jim Bowden. Maybe I could have done a better job. You know, I could, could have gotten into more Mel Stottlemyre stuff. He's kind of a overlooked Yankee pitcher just because of the era he happened to pitch in. Um, he had 64 in the World Series. And then, you know, then didn't get back to the postseason until he was a coach. I um, probably could have gotten into, into Mel um, obviously unfortunately his health was declining for most of the time I was researching the book um, so that might be one I could have gotten into a little I don't know something the probably but you know, I talked to Jim Abbott about his uh, you know, how he was able to be so dominant you know, with, uh, for, for his little time there with, uh, with the cutter um, I'd have to think a little bit but yeah, maybe, maybe I could have you know, given a little more love to, to Mel for the great pitcher that he was
1: and and all the names you mentioned is part of what makes the book so great is that it covers so many different decades of pitching and and just how the mind of a pitcher has evolved and how so much of it has stayed the same and uh, you know a big part of today's game in terms of some fans criticism is is the number of strikeouts and while a lot of people attribute that to you know launch angle and trying to capitalize on home runs and an effort to score runs. A lot of it is also attributed to the incredible velocity that every arm in the major league seems to have right now. When, when you talk to the, you know, the Terry's and the Bowtons who was a knuckleballer, but you know, pitchers from yesteryear, do they ever give any insight into you know, what the difference in terms of velocity and and stuff might've been back then. I know we have, you know, the Odovino's joking that he would have struck out Babe Ruth and a lot of people agreeing with him because they argue that the pitching just wasn't the same back then as it is today. Did any of them compare like what they thought the evolution was in today's pitching in terms of miles per hour and just movement on off-speed pitches? I think I think some of it, you
0: know, where I really got into that was kind of in writing about the stinker. Um, you know, sort of the guys like another Yankee, Tommy John, well, Yankee among many other teams. Um, but, you know, they kind of, they don't really tend, seem to understand, I guess, um, or they lament, you know, what happened to the, what has happened to the sinker in that it it, it is, it was always, you know, a pitch that guys love because they could throw it, um, they could, you know, have a low pitch count and get through games pretty quickly and have them put the ball in play on the ground, weak contact and, Obviously, hitters have tailored their swings to hit that pitch in the air now. Um, and teams, you know, would rather you avoid contact because the more contact, the more possibility that things can happen. And, I mean, it is it, it is a different game. It's a different game. Oral well, I I just said this when I said it's a different game. He said it's, it's a different game theory. It's the same game. And, and, and the theories now is, is that, you know, make them miss bats. And so, you know, teams covet these guys who – these high strikeout guys, even if they go fewer innings, because you know, like, the, look, with how the Yankees constructed this team, this team is not constructed to have the starters go really deep in games because they have a lot of strikeout guys and dominant arms to, uh, you know, to fill in six, seven, eight, nine. So, you know, you're just not asking your starter to do what you used to ask them to do, and the best weapon for a lot of those old starters was was to not. You know, not push it full throttle to take a little bit off and and, and get ground balls and, and, and you know be a little craftier out there. I think they you know they recognize that the, the velocity and how hard these guys are throwing, but they lament um, and maybe the absence of let's say craftsmanship out there or, or a kind of can, canny savvy mindset to just get ground balls and, and, and quick innings and, and and keep going. But part of that has to do with the hitters too. Hitters know they get paid by working deep counts. And, you know, foul balls off and, and taking close pitches. Um, so it's all kind of – it kind of goes
1: hand in hand. We're talking with Tyler Kepner of the New York Times and author of the book K. And I know last week with Brandon Steiner, he asked you your Mount Rushmore of, of pitchers. I think Walter Johnson and even Randy Johnson was on there. But if we were to uh, narrow that down to Yankees, if you had a name a Mount Rushmore of Yankees pitchers, well, uh, relievers can be included as well, which obviously probably – Includes an obvious answer, but if you had to give a Mount Rushmore of, of Yankees arms, what do you think it would look like?
0: That's uh, a really good question. It's, it's, uh, it's funny. I thought of my my son always asked me about He's a big basketball fan. He always asked me like, you know, would Kobe Bryant even make the Lakers around Mount Rushmore? Because <laughs> you got you know you got Kareem, you got Magic, you got you know Wilt and and Jerry West. how does how does Kobe even get on that list? But, uh um, that was the first thing I thought of, but. I mean, wow, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, first off, you know, you got to put you got to put Whitey Ford and you got to put Mo on there. Um, so you know, those two, you know, lock them, lock them up, um, and then you're looking at other ones. I, you know, the Yankees it's funny; to have a lot of like a lot of Hall of Fame type pitchers that that people don't think much, uh, you know, don't remember much of because as great as the Yankees are in their history, they have a lot of these pitchers on the 50s teams that would that would come in you know they'd have one or two great years and then then it sort of fade and they didn't have that longevity you know i'm talking about a terrier or or a or a you know bob turley kind of guys but for longevity i mean injury was really good for a long time um he's not you know didn't make the hall of fame didn't really get any love um from the voters, but for you know, for a nine or ten year period, you're talking seventy-seven to 86, 85, 86, and he was he was in the pantheon up there, and there's some pretty good years there. So I think I'd put idry on on the Mount Rushmore, and then you're talking about well, do you take a guy who, I mean, like Clemens was a Yankee for five years or so, and he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, but most of that was with Boston and. I, I don't know that I could put Clemens on there because he had a greater career than like a Pettit, let's say. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, Mel was great, but didn't pitch for a lot of winning teams, let's say. You had, you know, Herb Pennock and guys like that, Red Ruffing, um, you know, who don't get a lot of attention. So then I'm thinking, well, we kind of got Rivera to to represent the you know, the, the, the Tory years and the Girardi years. Um, you know maybe you go with I might go with a Red Ruffing I mean Red Ruffing was a Hall of Famer he was the ace of those those great teams in, in the early DiMaggio career um, they, the, the later the later Ruth years that are, that bridge to the early DiMaggio years um, you know uh, not an inner circle Hall of Famer it, 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 it took him a while to to uh, you know get in but um, I I I'd probably put Red Ruffing on there. I think Uh, you know. Let's uh, yeah, high ERA for All of Famer, and Andy's certainly more famous. Um, But to maybe to maybe show showcase the uh, the earlier years, let's, uh, let's throw Red Ruffing on there. Why not?
1: All right, there you go. A solid list. That's Tyler Kepner of the New York Times, and his new book, K, is out. It's been out since April 2nd, I believe, and it's a fabulous read. Recommend it to anybody. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on and uh, enjoy the games out there today. I know you'll be at the stadium.
0: Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, guys.
1: Okay. Huge thanks to Tyler Kepner. Again, his book K is out now. I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't given it a read yet. And, um, you know, it's just really interesting stuff that pitchers go through and what they dissect about their own delivery. And now you've have, from a Yankees perspective, he mentioned the Severino tipping pitches in the ALDS. And now it seems like Paxson was tipping pitches in his last start when he, when he got bombed. And, um, You know, I mean, what what do you think, Sean? The, for just for me, and I know I asked Tyler this when we talked to him, but for me, I just feel like that's something that I kind of wish the pitching coach Larry Rothschild would be able to uh, see something like that instead of having Carlos Beltran like, you know, a day later saying, "Hey, looks like you were tipping pitches out there," and then they go back to the video and it's like, "Oh yeah, you know what? He's right." I, I just feel like this is stuff that, you know, needs to be addressed. While it's happening, and again, I, I think I think we talked about this on the podcast after the season ended last year, when the whole Lance Lynn debacle and everything happened for, when when Boone's in game management managing was just awful. But I, I also was kind of hoping for Larry Rothschild to be a little bit of a rock for Boone in his early, you know, his early years as a manager when he's still getting the hang of it. Because Rothschild's been in the dugout for a while, and he's the pitching coach. Maybe he can help him be like, hey. You know, those last three balls were hit at over 105 miles an hour. Like, I don't know if he has it anymore. Or, hey, you know, looks like Paxton's doing something with his glove. I think pitchers might know when the off speed's coming. It's just something like that.
2: Yeah. I, um. I mean, with with the mechanics and the and the way that they're getting hit, I think that's more on Rothschild. Like, but pitch, tipping pitches, maybe not so much. I think that should be a concerted effort from everybody. I mean. You know, the hitters should be looking at the pitchers. I mean, like Beltron was, basically, even though he's not a not a hitter anymore. But uh, it would have been nice if, if Rothschild picked that up while he was observing Hap's mechanics, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, Paxton's mechanics, for sure.
1: Nothing's wrong um, with Hap's mechanics. He's just bad right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm not going to freak out on Rothschild for picking up not picking up something subtle. I mean, I know that's something you have to go back and dissect. Um, and... Oddly enough, I, I know Beltron pointed out it was an issue when there was runners on second base, and I believe Paxton did pretty well while there were runners on second base. So I, I mean, who knows um, what's going on? We'll see tonight when he pitches against the Red Sox, um, who
1: should who should be an easier test than uh than than uh, the White Sox based or the on Orioles. yeah based on how they're hitting right now.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, we'll so see. so yeah, Paxton tonight. We have a little two-game series with Boston, as the rivalry is basically down to a simmer right now, based on how both both teams are playing. So, you know, the Yankees are six and nine. I, obviously, this is a huge, tall order. But if, if the Yankees win three games in a row, they're nine and nine, exactly where they were last year when they won a hundred games. It's 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 very early. I'm trying to find the positives, but it's very early.
2: Well, I mean, they don't have the lineup they had when they started nine nine <laughs> and won hundred games. Right now, um, so we'll, we'll we'll see. I mean, um, between that and then how bad Hap has been, it's uh, there's a lot wrong that needs to be fixed. A real lot.
1: Yeah, Hap was asking CC for help <laughs> during CC's postgame presser on Saturday, asking how he was able to paint the corners because Hap's command is, has not been there, um, and and that's. I think I think that's the big key for the Yankees right now. We you know we just have to accept that who's the people that are injured are probably not coming back very soon aside from you hope Sanchez. They said it was a true 10 day IL stint. We'll, we'll see about that, but aside from him it doesn't seem like many guys are are due back soon. What um, about
2: Stanton? Do you think he'll be back within the next 2 weeks? I don't I don't know. I mean
1: if it's similar to Sanchez's bicep strain uh, last year, or in 2017, excuse me, then he would be due back in a couple weeks. But I don't. What He's been doing what? Just T work right now?
2: Yeah, I believe so.
1: So, I don't know. Might push that to three weeks probably at this point. And uh, so, what it comes down to is the guys that are here and are established, the few established parts of the roster left, from Judge, Voight, and Torres to the bullpen and um happen packs and Paxson, those, those guys just need to step up and produce and the the lineup portion of that you know torres went through a brief cold stretch but i think he'll be fine judge and void are fine it, it needs you know it's mainly the pitching right now chad green has to has Wolf. to be better yeah chad green has looked lost that's uh that's unfortunate considering how dominant he was in 2017. And, uh, you know, so many people are saying like, oh, he's been downhill since 2017. He still had a really solid 2018 season. He was just being compared to a ridiculous 2017 where he was, you know, probably a rookie of the year candidate if there weren't guys like Judge out there.
2: Yeah, he was He was great in 2017. Really good last year and just has not had it this year. Him and Britain both have been huge letdowns out of that bullpen.
1: Yeah, we'll see. we'll see if they can improve. Um, but other, other than that, I think, uh, I think I've been sapped of my energy talking about this team. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we hope that Paxton is fixed, even though that the situation with tipping pitches might not have actually been the cause of why he stunk. Hap, we just think stinks right now, and hopefully <laughs> he learns how to control it. CC gave us a shot in the arm. Tanaka had a Tanaka start. And uh, Domingo Herman, hopefully, when his next start comes around, keeps pitching like he has because he's been the Yankees' best pitcher. And then in the bullpen, uh, we, you know, Britain and, and, and uh, Green need, need to step it up, and, and that would at least be a start. Um, just, we'll those, what, just those ten happens. things,
1: just those yeah. ten things, and that would. Be and a we got to get
2: Sanchez back <laughs> now. Hopefully, again with the Sanchez injury, I wish they had been on it earlier, but uh, it is what it is. Um, hopefully it's only 10 days because he was, you know, he had the huge game. We were all excited. He had a nice, I think he had a couple doubles in the Houston series. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: You are Sanchez has been, was incredible before he got hurt. And, um, and
2: and then now we're back down to earth.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a dangerous time for players right now because if they feel like something's hurting, maybe they're like, Oh, we already have too many injuries. I can't say anything. And then all of a sudden they sustain an injury that takes months to recover. So you know, yep. players don't be stupid other injured players don't you know be stupid and coming back too soon before you're you know back on the shelf for a month again just get healthy and for the yankees that are still alive tread water uh, before those um colossal giants in first place the tampa bay rays get too far in front
2: don't make fun of the rays they're a good team
1: they have been outstanding since summer of last year, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they uh, what they released C.J. Crone. Everyone was laughing at him, and then they signed Charlie Morton, and now they're oh man, Tyler Glass. Now they're uh, they're good.
2: Hell of a lot better than we are.
1: You know, so are a lot of teams right now. So, is there anything we keeping with tradition? Is there anything you're looking forward to? Uh, this week in, in Yankees universe. I'll just say mine real quick. I'm looking forward to, you know, I mean, this could jinx it, but I'm looking forward to watching a week of Yankee baseball where I don't
2: see someone get hurt. Well, that that's just you're asking for trouble, so... <laughs> Um, I'll start preparing funeral arrangements for Judge because that's probably what's going to happen now that you said that. I'm not even looking forward to anything with the Yankees. I'm going (laughs) to say something else. I bought the uh, Lego Boba Fett ship, the slave one. I'm going to put that together this week uh, and continue binging Game of Thrones even though I'm not caught up yet. I'm going back. I'm not doing any Yankee stuff.
1: (laughs) All right. So we're back to the off-season tradition.
2: Yeah, that that's it. I, I've had it. The the greatest moments of the last week had nothing to do with the Yankees. I found out I passed my master's exam and will graduate. I'm very happy and proud about that. Um, Congratulations, Rangers. Rangers came. Thank you. Rangers came in second place to your Devils in the draft lottery. We're both very happy about that.
1: Yeah, that was a fun night.
2: That yeah, that was a great day. And then the Yankees start playing at seven o'clock. You think, all right, here we go. And then they just <laughs> sap all the life out of you. And I'm not happy no more because the Yankees stink. So. Um, that's it. So I'm trying to to look t- towards non-Yankee things to pick me up.
1: Yes. Well, thanks so, Thanks to everyone that listened. The moral of the podcast is that everything stinks and everyone is hurt. And, and if is, you're
2: 31 years old, the only thing you can do to bring you joy is watch Game of Thrones and build Legos. That sounds like a great night to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I I'll, can't do both. Like I build Legos while I watch the Yankees because you yeah. don't need to be so focused. Like Game of Thrones, I have to just sit down and do nothing else. Yeah, well, I guess I'm looking forward to a new
1: Game of Thrones this weekend. So there is something. There's light on the horizon. Hopefully there is, too, for the Yankees. Hopefully some reinforcements come back. But first, uh, rivalry, rivalry, rivalry. Yay. I feel about as excited saying that as uh, in Always Sunny when they're talking about the Philadelphia rivalry when they're over it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's... uh, uh, uh.
1: Well... Hopefully, hopefully there's some kind of spark from the Yankees starting tonight uh, taking on Boston. So everyone, try your best to enjoy the game. Say a prayer for the health of everyone on the field. And um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
2: See you later, everybody. If anybody gets hurt, blame Ryan.
1: Blame me.